Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Every summer wedding season has its standout dress. A few years ago, it was self-portraits, spaghetti-strapped, lace azalea. Last summer, you could have put money on seeing at least two women at any wedding in a deep v-necked, tropical print number from Rixo. Lately, though, it's not a dress, but a brand that's leading the wedding guest dressing field. I'm Emily Cronin, and this is Fashion Unzipped. With me in the studio are Bethan Holt and Charlie Gowans-Eglinton. Hi. Hello. Later today, Charlie's going to take us through her interview with Needle and Thread founder Hannah Coffin. But first, we've got to talk about the Marc Jacobs proposal. The designer popped the question to boyfriend Charlie DeFrancesco, who he's been dating since 2015, in a Chipotle with a flash mob, dancing to a Prince song. Apparently, Jacobs wanted to take DeFrancesco, who owns a candle brand called Get Lit by Char, out for a fancy... We did not make this up. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm gutted that that's taken because that would have also been the name of my candle brand. Oh, you should have registered that. I digress. He wanted to take him out for a fancy birthday, but DeFrancesco said he'd rather go to Chipotle. He never could have expected he'd be greeted by a squad of dancers getting down to Prince's kiss before Jacobs got down on one knee. We're going to post Mark's Instagram on the site so that you too can experience the simple joy-giving power of this grainy proposal video. But I have questions. First of all, at the risk of sounding a little bit snobby, Ladies, how would you feel about a proposal in a fast, casual chain eatery? And do you think they got free guac with that? Um, I would not feel good about a proposal in any public place, but maybe that's just me. Be it McDonald's or the Ritz or wherever. I do think a public proposal is a bit tacky, but if anything, I kind tacky. of think I kind of think the Chipotle <laughs> no, but I kind of think the Chipotle thing makes it cooler because I mean I'm really generalizing Americans here but when it's on like a big screen at a football game or a flash mob in Grand Central Station or something I kind of think yeah but in a Chipotle it's kind of funny because it's I think so espe- bizarre especially coming from Mark Jacobs who you might think would propose kind of on a beach in Mexico or or, or something like that I think the idea of being surrounded by kind of couples at a white tablecloth restaurant and then everyone looks around and claps politely when you get engaged would be absolutely hideous. But this is quite funny. It's, it's very lighthearted. I mean, it you know, they go in and, and when you watch the video, you can see that Char, I guess we can call him. I've never heard of him until this whole event, <laughs> that that he has no idea that it's about him. He's like recording it all on his on his phone camera. Uh, and then he turns around and, and Mark is 
down on bended knee. That's what I think is kind of hilarious about this is is it seems so kind of casual and you're like oh wow world famous fashion designer gets engaged in you know really affordable fast food place but it's actually (laughs) this whole choreographed routine there's like a creative agency there filming it for posterity you know it's kind of um a little bit of a mix I think it's definitely high and low and actually there there's some controversy surrounding this proposal because given that Mark tagged Chipotle in his post some people are asking, is this hashtag spawn content? Oh, wow. So, I mean, I, no, I don't think that Marc Jacobs needs to be sponsored by Chipotle, but um, but I do hope that they get, like, VIP guacamole portions after this. Perhaps he's already looking into wedding catering and just thought Ooh, he'd get ahead of that. That would be so good. Delicious. <laughs> um, or maybe we, you know, I always remember there was uh, Giles Deacon by Muller Yogurts. So maybe we're going to have Marc Jacobs x Chipotle. I love it. Mark Jacobs. I love what you've done. Walk, there, you know, maybe. I'm, I'm sure that would be, you know, just a feast of double entendre uh, coming from Mark Jacobs. Spicy. But, spicy, absolutely. Just a few days after the proposal, Mark posted another Instagram video, this one of Naomi Campbell lip syncing to George Michael's freedom at his surprise birthday party. So the man is winning at Instagram and appears to be very, very happy. So wishing, wishing you and Char the best, Mark, because I know you're listening. It's a regular week in London, though that could change any second because we are on call in case the royal baby decides to make an early appearance. But in Saudi Arabia, Wednesday marks the first day of the inaugural Riyadh Fashion Week. This is actually the kingdom's second attempt to hold a fashion week. The event was originally scheduled for March and it will see European fashion houses, including Roberto Cavalli and Jean-Paul Gaultier, show alongside local designers. It's all part of Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman's drive to modernize the deeply conservative kingdom. Some of the changes he's instituted so far include making it legal for women to drive, which will come into effect in June or July this year, ending a 35-year ban on cinemas, and announcing plans to spend £45 billion on entertainment projects over the next 10 years, including on fashion. Now, obviously, this is going to be a fashion week unlike most other fashion weeks. I mean, international guests who are attending are staying at the Riyadh Ritz-Carlton, which was recently used as a luxury prison during Ben Salman's corruption purge. And, of course, instead of peacocking outside the shows in attention-getting outfits, attendees have to dress modestly, and audiences at the shows, perhaps not so unlike Milan or Paris Fashion Week, will be women only. So I guess my question when I heard that, they, that Riyadh was going to host a Fashion Week was, why? Like, what do you think Mohammed bin Salman and... and his team, as it were, could hope to gain by producing a fashion week? I mean, as a fashion journalist, I feel like every other day I read some new statistic about how fashion businesses are being propelled by the kind of the Middle Eastern customer. And you you only have to go to a luxury store or, you know, a street in London to see a lot of Middle Eastern women out shopping. So I suppose they must be answering a consumer demand in a way. It always comes down to money, doesn't it, really? I think there's a statistic that the Saudi economy grew by 13% last year and actually that 70% of the population are under 30. So it's kind of working out where is that demographic going to spend their money and trying to get them to spend it at home. I think Saudi Arabia is known, obviously, for their oil industry, but they're looking at places like Dubai who have kind of launched fashion weeks, who have their magazines they have a fashion scene there um and they're kind of thinking oh perhaps if we could harness a bit of that we could 
bring some of that money home. That growth statistic is really staggering. I mean, so the Saudi Arabian economy was set up on completely based on oil mm-hmm. and on the expectation that oil would remain or, or hover around $100 a barrel for all eternity. Well, last year it was around $60 a barrel, I think. I'm not an oil commodity supporter, but but I think I read that. So you know, there are a lot of people who are saying that this is a way of diversifying away from an oil economy and beginning to invest in in homegrown um, entertainment, as you were saying, and and other economic areas. I mean, I think most importantly, it's it's an example of soft power. Like, we've never talked about Saudi Arabia on Fashion Unzipped. We're talking about it now. And it, except for the little dig about people staying in the same hotel that was just used as, to pr- as a prison, it's not negative coverage. You know, we're, we're talking about launching something that's very female-centric. In fact, that the head of Riyadh Fashion Week is a woman who Lisa Armstrong sat down with when she announced Riyadh Fashion Week um, during London Fashion Week, actually. So, I mean, Fashion Week is an incredible opportunity for Saudi Arabia to attract some press that is not based on um, restrictive guardianship laws or preventing women from exercising basic rights of movement. Although, Bethan, you did mention that a lot of journalists who sought to attend have been hampered from from attending. Yeah, I've just been out at a few events this morning and I've just been talking to some people and there are a few journalists who were meant to have flown out to cover this Fashion Week, but whatever reason their their visas haven't come through or haven't been approved yet so I mean I know that they'd already delayed it once to to be able to accommodate all the people that wanted to come but I definitely think there's still been a few teething issues but I mean you would you would kind of expect that with with any event really I mean I'm I'm really fascinated to see what clothes are on the catwalk who is attending these shows what the kind of the local perception and coverage is um you know, to think that probably just last year we were we were talking about the story about obesity levels among among young girls in Saudi Arabia was huge because they weren't able to exercise, they weren't able to leave the house. You know, so then to be talking about the country in the context of a fashion week, which is so much about women celebrating themselves and and expressing themselves, I think is a huge sea change. But you know, whether whether that really is going to um, infiltrate society. It's incredibly fast, isn't it? I mean, women were allowed to attend a, a football match in Saudi Arabia for the first time in January. And so, you know, to go from that to just three months later, to have this all women, I mean, men aren't actually allowed to attend the shows. I think they'll be... They'll off. have their own day. They'll exactly. restricted to one day. So it's, it's women only. Um, but to have this huge kind of four-day-long extravaganza for women and a celebration of women and trying to kind of encourage tourism, actually. And I, and I think for women to see Saudi Arabia as a destination for style and culture, I mean, these are really fast steps. As we mentioned, the, the Fashion Week hasn't actually started yet, so we haven't seen what there is to see. But we do know that that some of the European fashion houses who are participating are reshowing collections that have already been seen, whereas some regional designers will be showing new collections for the first time. We know that that there will be lace, there will be sheerness, there will not be any nipples. No nipples allowed at, you know, at the fashion shows at Riyadh. But yeah, this is definitely a story to watch. And actually someone who is doing some really interesting um, stories out of out of Riyadh right now is Elizabeth Payton from the New York Times. Normally I wouldn't 
point you towards a competitor, but she has some great um, Instagram stories online now about going running with the first Saudi Arabian women's running club, like in her running kit plus an abaya. And I'm sure that she'll continue to share great content um, that'll be interesting for anyone to see. That is interesting, isn't it? Because I think they said at the time that they wouldn't be imposing a dress code, but they would be sharing with visiting journalists, you know, what was culturally appropriate. So it's interesting to see, you know, how much people are going to adopt that dress, how much they're going to have to, you know, whether or not normally at Fashion Week there are parties, there are dinners, whether or not that that whole side will come together as well, or whether it's going to feel that maybe Saudi Arabia is not ready that. I'm genuinely fascinated as well to see who these local designers are as well. You know, we're so used to the, the big European fashion houses. And over the past few years, there's been some fascinating kind of emerging markets and um, designers coming from, from different countries with a different perspective. For example, there have been loads of South Korean designers over the past few years. And so, you know, I, I'd love to see what's, what a designer who's grown up in that region and whose references come from there and their inspiration, what they might kind of bring to the table. So it could genuinely shake fashion up in a very real way. We'll see. Well, you can read more background on Saudi Arabia's first ever fashion week on telegraph.co.uk slash fashion. Meanwhile, back in New York, Dolce & Gabbana brought its Alta Moda extravaganza to the Big Apple for its latest fashion spectacular. Sasha Slater was in the audience and joins us now. Hi, Sasha. Hi, hi. How are you? I'm well, thanks. How are you? Yeah, fine. Very uh, excited to be here. It's been completely crazy. So tell us, when did you arrive and what has your itinerary consisted of so far? You've been, it's been lots of glamour, yes? It's been incredibly glamorous. Um, Sometimes when a fashion brand takes you on a trip, they want you to immerse yourself in a cultural world or they want, you know, they want to take you to museums or whatever. With Dolce, it's completely different. Basically, you're here to eat delicious Italian food and uh, shop for couture. So if you're not actually in the market for couture, which I'm not, um, you're basically left to yourself apart from these explosions of glamour in the evenings, um, which are quite breathtaking. So did you go to the men's show, Alta Sartoria and Altamoda? No, I wasn't at the, there were, there were three events. Um, and there was the Alta Sartoria is the, is the men's couture equivalent. And then there's Alta Joyaleria, which um, again, I wasn't here for. I flew in on Sunday just for Altamoda. And I'm here until Dolce opens its new New York store uh, tomorrow evening. And then I'm home. But um it was very interesting. I was talking to um, a, a friend who works at Dolce, and he was saying that the problem with having the Alta Moda as the last of the events is that the clients, the women clients that they fly in from all over the world, are desperate to get shopping right from the get-go. And so they go to the men's collections and just start buying bomber jackets there because they can't bear not to be actually purchasing. So the men have a problem because the women are buying their couture and obviously because it's couture once you've bought one garment it's gone nobody's ever going to have a second one of it so uh so the men are feeling a bit left out how excruciating for them um so so set set the scene for us it was what was the alta motor show like it was at the metropolitan opera yes it was at the metropolitan opera they closed off the whole of the lincoln center plaza so the big um expanse in front of the opera was 
completely closed off to the public. They had not a red carpet, but a sort of custard yellow or possibly gold carpet um, throughout. And they had put in these big vitrines with um, past collection couture dresses. So, uh, you know, from the past, I think they've been doing it for about seven years. I'm not entirely sure you could check. But um, but so, so past collections of um, Altamoda around outside um, and then they did fireworks to excite everyone and then you went in to the foyer of the opera house which was where the show was happening and so it was gilt chairs all around up the stairs and the crowd of Kushio clients because it's really mostly a client event it's not really for press so we were very lucky to be there and the clients themselves are absolutely kind of mind-boggling people um the men are often much more heavily bejeweled than the women so they're wearing these absolutely gigantic sort of brooches um of bright yellow diamonds and colored diamonds and they've got diamond studded belt buckles and they're wearing really big heavy sort of dowager duchess necklaces all exquisite diamonds and the women are almost underdressed compared but obviously they're not because they're pretty much showing off their own Dolce Couture. The audience is as couture as the runway, basically, and looks almost as good. You made friends with one of the clients who was seated in your I had I you? had a lovely time chatting with clients. Yeah, they were <laughs> they were they were hilarious because they were totally you know, there was there was this wonderful woman who I was sitting next to and she was going on about how she was really sad about missing her chihuahua because she'd taken the night off and she'd been doing too many events, but you know, the chihuahua was, was going to decline because she wasn't in bed with it, but <laughs> she had to be there. And um, I think we need to start a new Instagram account called hashtag Dolce Problems. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I, I could do with her problems. Um, but anyway, so she, so at the end of this incredible parade of, you know, mink coats, which were literally in huge Statue of Liberty faces in blue on a scarlet mink coat. And the opening dress that that came down was this Carly Cloth dress, which was absolutely bright scarlet feathered number. And the train must have been 20 foot long and the headdress was three foot high. So she looked absolutely like this huge firebird parading around. And um, and at the end, this, the, the lovely lady with the chihuahua was clapping curious and she went, there's something for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Sasha, I was, I was reading in your report for the paper that they're actually shopping them on WhatsApp as they come down the catwalk. Yeah, yeah and, and that meant that the, the, so was the, the other lady I was next to who was absolutely desperate to get in there first on the, the I mean, obviously there are these show-stopping ball gowns and and the the last look that Naomi Campbell was wearing was this incredible corseted um, skirt and then a huge um, sorry corset corset and then a huge skirt um, with a kind of design of Times Square on it and and those those are the the mind-boggling outfits the ones that there's a real fight over are the kind of impeccable Sicilian widow dresses which are just so flattering and so beautifully cut and you, you can own, there are only four or five of them in in any show, and unless you're quick on the draw, you're not going to get your dress. And so the woman I was next to was absolutely sort of shivering with anticipation, trying to make sure she got in there in the um, on the WhatsApp group. It was it was 
play drama. So the seating must be incredibly important. I mean, you want to be seated as close as possible to where the models come out if you hope to have any any chance of getting in there, I guess. Well, that's a very good point. Um, But you don't necessarily know where the models are going to come out from. So that's a gamble. And um, there is no reserved seating, unlike in a normal ready-to-wear show where it's very political who's going to sit where and who's on the front row and who's on the second row. it's completely not like that because once you're inside Couture, according to Dolce & Gabbana, you know, inside Altamoda, everyone is equal. So there is no seating. So you have to uh, get in there early and save yourself a seat and take a punt on where you think the dresses are going to come out from if you're taking it that seriously. Um, and it meant that people were saving their seats with... I took a photo of this woman who'd literally... she covered four chairs with her... Um, I don't know, chinchilla stole to sort of bag them. It was just, you know, crazy. I, I imagine the ushers must have gone home with some pretty large bribes in that case, surely. Diamond brooches changing hands. Possibly, possibly. <laughs> Unfortunately, I'm not an usher, so I couldn't tell you. So, Sasha, what did you buy? Yeah, well, <laughs> it was that Naomi Campbell dress I couldn't resist. Oh. Um, I mean, on the basis that the starting price is £100,000, um, you know, you have to be quite serious about your couture before you're even in that room. I mean, this is a staggeringly expensive, exclusive corner of the business. Can you characterize how important are these collections to Dolce & Gabbana's bottom line? I, I don't think they're about the money because the whole experience um, and, and putting on these shows is so expensive because not only are they creating these unbelievably uh, technically complex garments, but they're also flying their clients in, putting them up and hosting them night after night after night for incredible dinners and parties. And last night there was a party with Rita Ora singing and Liza Minnelli sang at the Alta Sartoria show. And it's not a money-making exercise. It's really a a brand-building exercise for them. So they are a ready-to-wear business that uses Alta Moda as an amazing showcase and it really puts them at a peak of fashion which very few other brands can even hope to aspire to so i wouldn't say it's bottom line irrelevant it's all about fame In case this is your first time listening to Fashion Unzipped, you can find out more about all the stories we've discussed in a news article on the site. And please email us any and all questions and feedback. Speaking of which, thank you to the listener who requested our predictions on what our favorite celebrities should wear to the Cannes Film Festival. We're on it. Write to us at unzipped at telegraph.co.uk. And we'd love it if you'd subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. There aren't many fashion brands that can boast a clientele ranging from 20-something bridesmaids to 72-year-old Helen Mirren. But that wide demographic precisely describes Needle and Thread's customer base. The occasion wear brand, known for its heavily embellished, macaron-hued party dresses and gowns, has raced ahead of competitors since its 2013 launch. Charlie, you recently met up with founder Hannah Coffin. What has she gotten so right about this market? I think the thing that Hannah's done is she hasn't focused on cool, necessarily. She's focused on what she wants to wear, what her friends want to wear, to an event, to a party... And that's feminine clothing. You know, she saw a gap in the market. She thought, you know, actually, the market is full of brands that are doing the cool new trainer or sportswear or, you know, athleisure. But in reality, how many of us dress like that? You know, Balenciaga's £600 trainers 
those big chunky styles that they they do sell out but it's not really for the every woman and i think what hannah coffin has done is just identify that actually beautiful designs in in really well cut shapes will appeal you know she also doesn't rule out different body types so many brands kind of get into a mini dress or you know they do sleeveless or they think that a sexy little dress has to be kind of low cut and needle and thread caters for everyone because you know some women don't love their arms or some women prefer to cover their legs for you know personal reasons or for religious reasons and it actually unintentionally I think because originally she launched the brand for you know a woman like herself she's in her late 30s but unintentionally she's picked up this celebrity fan base with you know Sarah Jessica Parker who's in her 50s and Drew Barrymore who's in her 40s because actually they see these beautiful dresses super feminine really heavily embellished and ornate but also not ridiculously priced you know these are kind of three four hundred pounds a dress which is an investment but if you're going to wear it to kind of every wedding for the next four years perhaps it's not such an unreasonable one. Weirdly this actually takes me back to what we were just discussing with Sasha um, and and what she was saying about, um, you know, how the most in-demand pieces are the super flattering, gorgeous lace dresses. And actually, there's so much to be said for just a really beautiful dress that you put on and it just makes you feel great about your body. And you know that you'll still be able to wear it in 10, 20 years time if you take care of it, obviously, you know, and Maybe at Dolce you'd spend three hundred thousand, but with needle and thread you can spend three hundred zeros, and and you're good. Yeah, it is unapologetically pretty. I, I went to the recent press day, and it was really striking how you know you, there were the dresses were almost grouped in families. So if they had like a a pale pink moment, you knew that there would be a short dress with long sleeves and a long dress with short sleeves, and a strapless and a spaghetti strap. You know, there was something for everyone. Um, and actually, they asked me if I wanted to try anything on, and um, Fashion Unzipped reveal I'm pregnant, so I told them, no, thank you. I don't think I'm going to be able to to really maneuver in any of these beautiful, tiny-waisted dresses. And Hannah like looked me up and down. She's like, oh, you should absolutely try this shirt. It's it's wefty. It will work well into your third trimester. Here, take it. And she was right. She really knows her customer. Well, I think that's the key, isn't it? Because it's funny you mentioned um, self-portraits, spaghetti-strapped azalea dress, which was, in 2015, that was the dress. You know, multiple friends of mine had it in different colours, bridesmaids were wearing it, but it was one cut of dress. So the the problem there is that, obviously, it's oversaturation. You don't want to turn up at a wedding and three other women are wearing the same dress as you and you kind of look like you've come as a peculiar secondary bridesmaid posse. (laughs) I think a lot of women (laughs) that summer got very good at smiling through gritted teeth and saying, oh, let's take a picture together. Exactly. <laughs> Whereas with needle and thread, it's an aesthetic that we love. It's not a particular dress. So you might love a colour or you might love, you know, a floral embroidery or the sequins. But you can find that in mini or maxi or with sleeves, without sleeves. You know, I was at a wedding in December. Um, I was a bridesmaid. So my my dress decision was made for me but the mother of the groom and the sister of the groom were both wearing needle and thread and you know that's kind of 30 years apart one was a low cut mini dress one was a long sleeve maxi dress they both looked beautiful and it didn't look like they were wearing necessarily the same brand but it did coordinate together 
You can also spot a needle and thread dress, you know, across the room. So I, I do wonder what she said to you about how she's going to, to kind of progress the brand and, and keep moving it forward. For her, I think product diversity is, is kind of one of her big next steps. She's just been coming up with her uh, next three-year plan. And she's a pretty impressive businesswoman, actually. She's incredibly savvy and she kind of knows all the stats and sales off the top of her head. And I think they've, they've launched kind of cotton Victorian blouses and sweatshirts and things that you wouldn't necessarily associate with the needle and thread brand yet. But, you know, as they grow that market, one of their sweatshirts is actually a bestseller at the moment. So I think they're hoping that if women ever do get bored of seeing that type of dress, they will have enough product to move away from it seamlessly. And I guess we only go to weddings a few times a year, whereas every week you need a great blouse or a nice sweatshirt, right? And the prices are much more affordable. So hopefully it will bring people into the brand. That's what they're aiming for you know the sweatshirts are 95 I think and the cotton shirts I think are just 130 which is expensive but if you're kind of obsessed with the brand and maybe it's for that younger consumer as well to try the brand get to know it and then think yeah maybe I will invest in a dress you can read more about needle and thread in Charlie's story which is in the paper on Wednesday and online it's time for us to go around the table and share something we're all excited about this week. Bethan, you want to go first? Um, yeah, well, tonight I am going to the new Soho House White City. What? So it's, um, and this feels particularly kind of fascinating for me because I remember when I first moved to London, I went to look at the most grotesque flat I think I've ever stepped foot in and it was opposite the the BBC television centre in White City, Shepherd's Bush and back then it was the BBC and you know it was just this big kind of office place but yeah the Soho House Group have been renovating it for the past couple of years and so yeah I'm fascinated to kind of recalibrate my brain and not associate that area with this disgusting flat but maybe an amazing new London destination. We'll see. Charlie, what about you? Pretty much all I'm talking about at the moment is that I am moving house a week on Saturday. Um, but who's counting? <laughs> who's counting? Uh, apart from me. And basically to put off packing, um, I will go to any length. And currently I'm art shopping. But, you know, <laughs> on a small budget and I'm looking for something. I'm planning my living room already. I've, I've you know, planned what's going to go on every wall. I've got a great Slim Aaron's print that you can get them done um, from the Getty Images Gallery that's going to go on one wall, but I'm really hankering after something a bit more organic. Um, and what I really want is an Alexandria Co. Uh, life drawing. Oh so- my gosh, that her life drawing, I feel like she's just sort of, it's kind of that modern Matisse oh, I don't know her moment. At all. I have it? to look her up. They're fabulous. And there's Mm. this um, kind of great online shop for affordable art, affordable in speech marks, because, you know, it's not cheap, but these are one-offs that's called Partnership Editions. Uh, So I follow them on Instagram and I'm constantly seeing amazing works of art for kind of two, three hundred pounds. So I've got the wall in mind and now I'm just trying to narrow down what I want to put on it. That is such a great tip. I'm going to follow Partnership Editions right now. And I, actually, Charlie, you impressively already have a, a gallon of Farron Ball paint. 
Oh, yeah, it's by beside desk. my desk. I'm ready, guys, I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> what shade of furrow and ball are you going for? I mean, it's a white, but it's a really chic white. Yeah. Um, it's a Wimborne white. Lovely. I am a furrow and ball enthusiast. How about you, Emily? What are you excited about? This oh, week? well, I was busy last week. Um, I, was, I was at home with my kids for most of the week because nursery was closed. Thanks. Thanks for that. So I did two things I was excited about. Number one, I finally went to Topshop and bought some maternity jeans. And let me tell you, putting those on after feeling my jeans get tighter and tighter, it's just, it's such a relief. So very, very happy about those. Are they the best ones, the Topshop ones? Cannot vouch for that, but they're okay. pretty good. I mean, I, I'm, people say great things about J Brand. I haven't tried those. I, I think that this is the beginning of a of an in-depth investigation into maternity jeans. I mean, they're never going to be that great, but they're better than jeans that barely button. I'm wearing them now. Well, we'll expect Ooh. regular updates on your <laughs> yes, I, I will maternity jeans mission. <laughs> um, I also read some, some really wonderful books. I was at a loose end for what to read, so I looked up the National Book Award for Fiction long list from the U.S. from 2017 and just put them all on hold and sort of read them in order, in the order that they came up. And one of my favorites is called The Leavers by Lisa Ko. It is one of those books that is just such a view of a, of a completely different world than the one that we live in, that it, it's a wallop. What world? I haven't heard of it. Um, well, it's about um, a woman named Polly Guo, who is a, an illegal immigrant to New York from China. And her, her American-born son, Deming or Deming, I don't know, I read it, I didn't hear it. And... Um, one day, Polly goes to work at a nail salon when, when Deming is 11 years old, and she just never comes back. And he has no idea what happened to her, and he ends up going through the foster system and being adopted by an American family. And then I'm not spoiling anything to say that we do hear from Polly later on, and it's, it's an incredibly powerful, not completely devastating, not completely uplifting a mix, but it, it, it's a great book. Um, and I just, it was one that I just couldn't wait to get back to. So add it to your reading list, The Leavers by Lisa Ko. Check back next week for another episode of Fashion Unzipped. Ahead of Fashion Revolution Week, we're asking, how sustainable is your wardrobe? Join us next week to learn the impact of five pieces in every woman's closet. And send us any questions about the fashion industry and sustainability or anything else you've got on your mind at unzipped at telegraph.co.uk. Thanks for listening. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.